0: we always felt like we had a high standard that if we're marketing to marketers, you know, we better be best in the world. And we just found that when marketing focused not only on top of funnel, but focused on the middle and bottom of the funnel, all of a sudden we started having some big breakthroughs. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday which means this is our hashtag one big idea episode. In these episodes, you'll hear some of the best big ideas from incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. Here we go.
1: Guys, I'm super excited. Sangram here and we have an incredible guest. I was trying to figure out how do I bring somebody on this podcast that has actually done like over a decade's worth of time to build a company and have would have gone through every single kind of change that you can imagine from growing a company from a startup all the way to scale it and and sell it and see what it feels like on the other end and i couldn't find and think about a better person than scott dorsey so scott who is the co-founder chairman who was the co-founder chairman and ceo of exact target for 12 years and then as most of you guys probably know exact target was acquired by salesforce for 2.5 billion dollars it is one of the biggest and the most amazing acquisitions of our times and then he kind of moved on to become a manager partner at high alpha so I just want to really let everybody know that this is going to be a fun conversation about the growth about what it means from a marketing and sales perspective what changes over a period of 10 years a decade and really personal growth moments around what really helps people and companies to scale so Scott welcome to the show
0: Sanger thank you so much for the uh, for the warm warm welcome and introduction and uh, you know I'm honored to be on the podcast so thanks for having me today.
1: Sounds good, man. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Um, uh, you know there's a lot of excitement on our side with a lot of things, and I'm just excited to connect with you and chat for a little bit. It's my
0: pleasure. Congratulations on the acquisition and, uh, and a kind of a huge 2017. You guys are on a
1: roll where we feel really proud to be a small part of it. Man, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been an honor. It's been a roller coaster, and it's in a, in a really, really good way. So, that's so awesome. Yeah,
0: tell me more about your podcast series.
1: Yeah. So I'm, we kind of started to look around and said, well, what's going on in the marketplace? How do we continue to not just make like, you know, noises once in a while through the conferences and events or stuff like that, but how do we continuously stay ahead of the curve and just get in touch with everybody out there in our community and just show uh, everybody how our brand really works and how we are as people as opposed to just brand, you know, just like like logo and all that stuff. So uh, an idea popped up. Uh, I don't know whose it was, but it says, hey, we should do a daily podcast. And uh, nobody's doing that in the B2B world. Wow. Uh, and I'm, we're like, well, that's crazy to do it. Well, we are crazy enough to do it. So um, I took up that challenge and I said, hey, let's just go in and do a daily podcast. So it sounds crazy. And, and we started to kind of figure out how we would do it. Uh, but really, I'm interviewing only one person every single week. So from that perspective, I feel like I'm kind of covered and I can do that. And the other ones, I'm just talking to people internally, like Lucas on the sales team. and have, Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm having him come on board and said, hey, tell everybody how you built an SDR team from ground up so that people can just learn from what it takes to build an SDR team. So kind of sharing our own learnings uh, and that way. we're not selling Terminus, but we're talking about Terminus and the culture and the people.
0: That's awesome, Sangram. That's really cool. How long have you been doing this?
1: It's literally been one week, man. Uh, January 1st, uh, when we launched it, I uh, just interviewed Jay Bear a couple of days ago, so oh, I'll, nice. uh, I'll be putting his one uh, next week on. And we, we literally broke 1,000 downloads as of yesterday, so in one week. And we want to go like at least 10,000 downloads by the end of the year, so that's the goal.
0: Way to go. That's, uh, that is stepping up to a tall commitment. I, I admire that you're going to do it, and I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it'll be great.
1: I'm excited, man. So, Scott, let's dive in. You know, you have been the CEO of a company that has been for 12 years in the making, Exact Target uh, Indy, a pretty iconic brand. You guys build a great brand. I still remember uh, for me when uh, when I was at Pardot and we went to the acquisition of Exact Target, it was orange everywhere and orange was a culture. And I was like, how can orange, a color, be a culture? And, and then, <laughs> then when I went to the office in Indy, I was like, man, that is a culture. I get it why people are so excited. Excited, happy. So, I'd love for you to kind of just share a little bit of your journey uh, over the ten years of kind of starting a company, and and ten years twelve years is a long period of time. And, and any lessons learned, and any any story around along those lines, and, and then we can jump into more specifics.
0: Yeah, thanks, Sangram. I'd be happy to share the story. We were we were extraordinarily blessed and fortunate. We started Exact Target in two thousand one. Uh, three entrepreneurs: Peter McCormick, uh, me, and Chris Baggett. Chris is actually my brother-in-law. So we uh, are part of the same family and would always literally get together over the holidays and talk about technology and the internet and entrepreneurship. And And Chris really had the vision of how the internet was going to transform marketing and that the principles of database marketing were going to be applied to the online world in a big, big way. And I was fortunate. I was just spinning out of graduate school. I went to graduate school at Kellogg uh, School of Management in Northwestern and spent three years studying entrepreneurship and and how the internet was transforming business, and, and we were first-time entrepreneurs, and, and we jumped in and, and had a lot of great fortune along the way. We built an amazing team. Uh, we found you know smart investors and mentors. We really bootstrapped the business and worked extraordinarily hard for a long, long time. And uh, I think we're very good at listening to our customers. You know, they in the world of SaaS and cloud, if you listen to your customers, often they'll they'll show you the way. You need to lead them and inspire them. But if you're awesome at building relationships and understanding their problems and, and understanding where you can help both in product and services. You know, often the roadmap really reveals itself. And then over time, my focus really became just building an organization that phenomenal people wanted to be a part of and were wanting to pour their heart and soul into the company and grow personally and professionally and, and ultimately kind of win the market. So we really worked on building this culture that we did uh, call orange. We built this culture framework called orange But it was a mix of kindness and being genuine and really caring for each other and our customers, uh, but also being competitive and, and really wanting to win in the market. And we were just really, really fortunate to have this extraordinary journey of taking the company public in 2012. We went public on the New York Stock Exchange in March of 12, which was just an extraordinary event and opportunity and experience and milestone for all of us. And then we were a public company for five quarters, and life was just going along swimmingly. We were so fortunate to join forces with you and the Pardot team and learned so much from Pardot, actually, about culture and about building teams. And then Mark Benioff and Salesforce came knocking uh, five quarters later with uh, with kind of an offer we couldn't refuse. And we were delighted to become a part of the Salesforce family, and that provided even more opportunity for our team and our customers to reach new heights. And you know, here we are three or four years after the acquisition. And I just couldn't be prouder of how well it's gone. We have so many of our exact target colleagues uh, and Pardot colleagues, you know, look at Adam Blitzer yeah. kind of running the sales cloud. They've, you know, these these individuals have just uh, done extraordinarily well within Salesforce. And then the business itself has just excelled. And that's that's really what we hoped for. And today the Salesforce marketing cloud is generating more than a billion dollars in, in annual recurring revenue. And then, and then I really hoped this would happen. There was a lot of dialogue with uh, with Mark Benioff around Indianapolis. Now, Indianapolis could be a strategic location for Salesforce and, and that we together wanted to really double down on the community. And that's happened in a big, big way with the exclamation point being the, the tallest building in Indianapolis has been called the Chase Tower for the last 15 to 20 wow. years. And it, it's now the Salesforce Tower Salesforce now has over 2000 employees here in Indianapolis and and they're growing very very quickly. So what an experience, you know, what a journey, a lot of a uh, lot of hard work and determination and I was just fortunate to work with incredible people and, and uh you know, accomplish something that's still making a difference in the in the SaaS industry and still making a difference in our hometown.
1: Uh, that's beautiful. I still remember, Scott, and, and tell me if I'm off on the dates here, but I remember there wasn't a direct flight from Indy to California. And as a result of the acquisition, I feel like that was one of the first things that really happened in Indy was a direct flight. Is that is that is that a true statement?
0: It's a true story. It was actually Believe it or not, Sangram, there were two topics that we felt were holding back the tech community for years. One was that we didn't honor daylight savings time in central Indiana, which is so strange. So it was Hawaii, Arizona, and Central Indiana were not honoring daylight savings time. And we were we were just like off step with the rest of the country. And unfortunately, Governor Daniels kind of got that solved. But then we were really lacking a new airport. We ended up building a billion-dollar airport in Indy. And then we were lacking uh, direct flights, and and really we're very limited on connectivity to San Francisco, and that was that was really hurting our tech community. We were fortunate at Exact Target that we had Bay Area investors, but it was a real chore for them to get in and out of Indianapolis. So for years we had been working on getting a nonstop flight, and with uh, with the Salesforce acquisition pending, we were able to get the city and the state together, our corporate community. We partnered with United Airlines, and we we got a direct flight in place, and it, it's hilarious, Sangram, to this day. I have people kind of, you know, tapping me on the shoulder on the street like, Scott, thank you so much for that nonstop flight. <laughs> I just went to the wine country last weekend. Uh, so it's uh, on, on the personal side, it's, it's made a big difference for our community. But on the business side, it's not blossomed into three or four direct flights a day to San Francisco. And it's created this connectivity that's really, really important to our tech community.
1: That is so beautiful, man. I I remember those pictures. And I remember like you standing with uh, some of the government officials. And I I think that was, I could see it on your face that it was such a proud moment for you, for the city, because I know how you deeply care about the growth in the community and, and the tech community at Indy. So that's phenomenal. Now I would love to dig in and, and this is really something that uh, that I think a lot of our uh, listeners would love. majority of our listeners are kind of in the leadership roles in marketing and sales and B2B. And I wonder now that you have gone from being a CEO, building a great brand, going to the acquisition, seeing you know two great companies coming together and now moving to a, a being a VC uh, at your, own VC firm. I'm learning as things are moving along and and wondering if sales and marketing has changed over the last decade since you have been kind of in it in the early decade of 2000 and now in the second decade. Of
0: course, it's certainly changed dramatically, Sangram, but I think it's changed in many wonderful ways. I think first and foremost is that sales and marketing Realize they have to be extraordinary partners of one another and, and work very, very closely with one another. And you're, you're an absolute shining example you know, of that at, at Terminus. So, well, I think when you turn back the clock a decade ago, sales and marketing often were very siloed and there was a lot of friction and tension between the two groups. And, and certainly in high performing organizations, there's always healthy tension between marketing and sales. But I'm seeing a much higher level of collaboration between sales and marketing. Than I've ever seen in the past. And I, I think that's extraordinarily positive. And I'll give a specific example there. Yep. In many cases, marketers focus on what marketing is contributing to the top line. Yeah, marketing qualified leads, marketing qualified opportunities. And I think the enlightened marketing leaders realize that they're responsible for the total number. They're responsible for generating marketing leads and opportunities, but also helping the sales team generate leads and opportunities. And really what matters. Is overall success. And and marketing can play a big role in that. And as you know, we were so fortunate to have Tim Kopp as our chief marketing officer, and Tim was extraordinarily talented in building our brand, building a category leader, but also thinking really differently about how sales and marketing work together. And one of the breakthroughs we had actually was when we shifted a significant amount of marketing resources to helping sales build better decks, better presentations, better experiences for marketers once something was already in the funnel, we ended up shifting a lot of marketing resources to help go from a real opportunity in the funnel to a win. And also we were selling to marketers, which right. you are also, which is an absolute joy. Marketers are, are <laughs> just absolutely so fun to, to work with and sell to and serve. But we always felt like we had a high standard that if we're marketing to marketers, you know, we better be best in the world. And we just found that when marketing focused not only on top of funnel, but focused on the middle and bottom of the funnel, all of a sudden we started having some big breakthroughs.
1: And that is really, really key. And probably one of the biggest ideas uh, to kind of take away so far in our conversation is kind of the movement from top of the funnel to middle and bottom. And I I love to dig in that a little bit, Scott, if you don't mind, is, is Let's like, do it. did the metrics change? Was the, you know, what was exact target uh, from a marketing perspective responsible for? And what's that change from like, hey, you know, instead of coming up with X number of top of the funnel leads or contacts. Let's just focus on pipeline. Did the compensation change? I wonder what changed in that process beyond just the dollars?
0: No, it's a good question. I think it's shifting what metrics marketing is accountable for. So, for example, often win rate is something owned by sales. You know, so marketing is going to generate leads. They turn into qualified opportunities. In sales, they own win rate. And it was enlightening for us and a change agent for us when we said, no, marketing and sales both own win rate. And how can marketing create experiences and deepen relationships and, and influence decision makers to increase win rate? And that's really, really where we moved the needle. And then we ended up building compensation structures for marketing really built on overall ARR or new business ARR, not just the marketing metrics. And I think that bigger picture of thinking and bigger picture level of accountability really helped get everybody on the same page.
1: I love that, man. I-, I totally love that. I was on a call. Uh, we interviewed David Cancel, who most people know. He's five time, you know, CEO has had five different companies before, and is doing an extraordinary job with Drift. And also Gordon Abel, who was the CEO of SteelBrick, and and they were acquired by Salesforce as well. And- yes, and of now, course. Uh, they, you know, doing amazing things. And I asked them the same question I'm about to ask you, which is, why do certain companies make it and others don't? And and I wonder. Uh, based on just some of the conversation you you just mentioned about, is it really the people that, that should be the question? Like, why do certain people make it and others don't? And I'm, I would love for your thoughts uh, on that question.
0: I, I'd love to. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, Sangram. I mean, certainly you need to be solving a real problem in the market. You need to be in a category of software that's growing. You need to build a phenomenal team that works extraordinarily well together. And, you need to serve customers in the right way and be competitive and work really well together. And, you know, ultimately, you know, what's really fun about software is, you know, many companies are, are going to make it and be successful in particular in a successful category. So you look back to email marketing and digital marketing, there are so many companies that did well and succeeded. We wanted to be the breakout category leader. And, Part of that is kind of starting with the end in mind. I I did a little talk down at Venture Atlanta a couple months ago on the five characteristics of great SaaS leaders. And the first one I spoke about was start with the end in mind. And part of starting with the end in mind is determining that a goal of yours is to be the category leader. And if you think about defining a new category, pioneering a new category, which all of you are doing at Terminus, and then further, that you want to be the category leader. And when you are venture back, your goal is to create enterprise value, and the majority of enterprise value goes to the category leader. Often, the category leader ends up generating more enterprise value than probably competitor two through 10 combined. So part of it is starting with the end in mind and taking a look over a multi-year horizon and really framing the company you want to be at a future state. In our case, we had filed to go public in 2007. And we were still a relatively small SaaS company. We were 48 million in revenue. We were actually, believe it or not, we were profitable. We were cash flow positive, And a lot of smaller SaaS companies were going public. And we really felt that would give us the platform to start moving up into the enterprise segment. Well, the financial collapse happened in early 08. And we ended up being on file for all of 08. And it was an wow. extraordinarily challenging time, Sangram. I, I like to describe it as we had all the burden of being a public company with none of, <laughs> none of the benefits, and we had to operate under SEC quiet period rules for a year. When well, we came out in early 2009, we decided to stay private, raise scale of venture capital, pull the S1, which was kind of very you know, bittersweet and difficult decision for us. But at that time, it was early 09, we created a vision statement called Accelerate 2013. And we laid out a four-year plan and got very specific around the company we wanted to become in 2013. And that enabled us to look back you know, three, four years earlier to present time and say, what investments do we need to make today in order to kind of achieve our full potential? So I think that starting with the end in mind is a big one. And then the second one I'll just point to out of the five that I shared is great SaaS leaders are both optimistic and are never satisfied. <laughs> and that was a leadership philosophy that I I, I really worked uh, to live kind of every day. And I even saw that within Salesforce and, and Mark Benioff in a big way. But just expanding on that, you know, to reach your full potential and to motivate and inspire teams, you have to be optimistic. CEOs and leaders, their responsibility is to build a vision, inspire people, and, and be optimistic. But also with that, I think the best companies and the best leaders are just never satisfied. They just know there's another gear to hit. There's everything they do can just be a little better product design, product innovation, website, messaging, go to market. How do we serve customers? You know, they just have this healthy discontent uh, that they bring out in a, in a professional and practical way to help others around them and themselves, frankly, kind of reach their full potential. And a part of that also is surrounding yourself with the right investors, the right advisors, the right mentors, that just allow you to reach your full potential and in turn help the organization reach their full potential.
1: Man, Scott, like that was such an amazing I took like almost two pages of notes on just the last part. So <laughs> thank you. I have so many more questions, but I, I think, you know, just from a time perspective, like I, I don't want people to lose the last part. So I'm just gonna summarize a few of the things that you just mentioned. Number one, you mentioned like listen more to your customers. Now that that is a big idea because I think a lot of people think like, yeah, I'm listening to customers, but no no no. You really need to listen more to the customers because they really can shape your roadmap. So I think That was great. Sangam, can I expand on that one real quick? I'm going to get one
0: quick anecdote. Scott McCorkle was our chief innovation officer and then our chief technology officer and then really became my successor. He ran the Salesforce Marketing Cloud for two years after I left. When Scott came on board as our product innovation leader, the commitment he made to me was that he was going to speak to a customer every day. Wow. He said, Scott, I will talk to a customer every day. And it's so easy to say, but candidly, it's just remarkably difficult to do. Yep. And most product leaders don't talk to customers that often. You know, right. They just get busy and they get inward focused. Scott literally spoke to a customer every day over a decade. And he ended up being the most informed uh, person in the entire company, what our customers wanted to have built. And then on top of it, he had the development and engineering team. So we actually had the chops and the resources to go build it. So that was a huge differentiator for us that I'm not
1: sure I've ever seen replicated within a company, quite honestly. That is insane, that is incredible, like listening and talking to your customers every single day. The other thing that you also mentioned was very, really cool, building Orange as a culture, it was a culture of both kindness and competitive. And I think that was really nice to kind of hear that you say that it, it wasn't all about happy-go-lucky. You know, we are just a happy people and we we're just all loving <laughs> right, and we we're right. all like serving. And, and that's great and at the end of the day, but you also need to be competitive to build a real business and a real team. So I, I, I love that part. Um, That was really cool. Uh, The other part, you know, obviously kind of thinking about from a marketing and sales perspective was don't just focus on top of the funnel. This is where a lot of companies are start with or focus on and look at that engine as the way to grow. But really, if you want to have acceleration in the pipeline, you need to focus on middle and the bottom of the funnel. And that might require compensation changes. That might require focus and metrics changes. So I think that was a really, really good point from a lesson learned from a decade uh, before to now. Uh, And the last part, which you absolutely Absolutely, absolutely nailed it. I'm, I'm going to do a full write-up on this. It, it's really all about like what makes certain companies great. And you talked about focus on the real problem, put together a really amazing team that really focuses on the problem. You talked about think about the customers in the right way. And, and the, the, really the most important thing you mentioned that for me, just kind of listening to you, was start with the end in mind. And I wonder if that might be the one of the most or the best lesson for anybody listening to this podcast is that what is your end game? What do you want to be? What do your company want to be? What do you want to be as a person, as an individual, as a leader, as a manager, whatever it is, what is your end game? And kind of thinking about that as your North Star, what would you do to get there? And I feel like that was such an incredible lesson to share. So thank you, Scott, for, for sharing incredibly amazing lessons on just 20 minutes into it. Sangam,
0: thank you so much. That was uh, that was an awesome, inspiring summary, and uh, honored to be a part of your program. And and also, hats off to you for committing to a daily podcast. I mean, you're going to be sharing, you know, so much kind of ideas and inspiration and excellent guests along the way. And I look forward to listening into uh, future episodes.
1: Absolutely, Scott. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay. Cheers.
0: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.